Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. Hello. I have to say, I am eminently excited. We have a legend of stage and screen with us today, Mr. Ed Asner. Welcome, sir. What do you do? We are uh, we are super excited to have you with us. I know myself, I have been a fan of your work for quite a long time. Um, my father my father kind of brought me up with a lot of, of stuff from kind of before my time, and I'm glad he did. The Mary Tyler Moore show specifically was very formative for me. Mm. Oh, that's great. It was very formative for me. <laughs> so... Um, to let everybody know, uh, if you if you're not completely familiar with uh, Mr. Asner's work, in case we're talking to some of the millennials that may not know the Mary Tyler Moore, that is just a fraction of what he's done. He's been involved with a variety of projects, even up to today. I mean, if you've ever seen Up, which made me cry in the first few minutes of the film, he is the prime voice behind that film. Uh, he has been involved with a variety of of animated projects and we're definitely going to want to dig into that but right now you've got an autobiography uh son of a junk man right 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 tell me a little bit about this project how did you come into uh come into this and and decide to start this up well stem uh joseph warren um i don't know what the hell that is um <laughs> Uh, a very uh, eloquent writer uh, has, has been bugging me for a long time about doing my autobiography. So funny, I said, "Okay, I'll I'll have you do it." And he came in with hundreds of questions, which we uh, answered to the best of our ability. And um, I saw the Q and A that emanated from that. I. It lacked something for me, and so I turned to uh, uh, a, a guy who was helping me out from time to time, uh, named Matt Seymour, and he gave it a, uh, a more of a dramatic flow. So between the two of them, I put out this biography. That's it. <laughs> Makes sense. It seems to have gotten a really positive response from all of the reviews that I've seen of it so far. Uh, I had not had right. a ch- hadn't had. I haven't, I haven't seen anything. Have you really seen some reviews? I I I saw uh, the original sheet, and I was like, well, now I have to go look for it. And I have seen some reviews of it, and and overall, it's very positive, which makes me very much want to read the book because you've you've had some some amazing experiences over the years. Well, thank you. What I would really like to know, how did the acting bug bite you in the first place? What what got you into saying, I want to be part of telling these stories to people? No. Uh, that, I, I didn't become part of telling stories. I, I uh, Telling a story, as I did on my first play, which is Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot, uh, I was, became transported. I, I, 
I rose higher than my normal five feet nine inches at the time. And uh, I thought, I need this every day of my life. So I became an actor. And it's to achieve that, that stature that it gave me to become better than I, Ed Asner, am or was. Uh, I needed more of that. I needed that boost. And I became that, and I've been telling stories, becoming those people, and transmogrifying myself as best I can uh, to fit the character that I'm asked to do and acquire stature from that character and add it on to my own puny stature. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say that... Uh... You awake? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, it's more a matter of trying to formulate a, a, a question that, uh, that will keep me from uh, <laughs> discerning into babbling fits. <laughs> um, so what it, you've done stage and you've done screen. I mean, both have a, a particular allure to them. Do you have a preference between the two or are they both kind of equally great loves of your life? Well, screen is much easier. Uh, once you get over the, the fact that millions could be seeing what you're doing as opposed to a few hundreds at a time. Uh, but uh, you need stage experience to acquire the experience to be able to perform in film. Think you need that background. That kind of makes sense. Uh, I have very limited experience in stage. You know, kind of what you get from going to college and then seeing something posted up, and the 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 boost of being in front of a large group of people and performing is I can I can see the allure of that. Is there a a particular early performance that stands out to you that you that it was just kind of like. Um, a beacon that's like, man, this this particular performance just kind of is is amazing, and the, and the response that I'm getting is what I'd always dreamed of. A, a particular performance, you say? Yes, sir. In my past, that that guided me forevermore. Absolutely, there may not be one. We love stories. You can you can tell as many as you would like. <laughs> my first one. My first one is, is what set, set the style and the, and the road I was to try for the next, next 70 years. Um, I, uh, all right, let's, let's start at the beginning. Absolutely. I had done uh, <clears throat> radio in high school. I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was... Uh, they couldn't see how ugly I was, so I could be as handsome as I chose to be, or as my voice chose me to be. So I, I like doing that stuff, and uh, I could get very sexy, and uh, I liked me a lot. <clears throat> so then I graduated high school. I went to the University of Chicago, 
It had no theater department. But uh, uh, I was in the Burton Judson dormitory court. And uh, after about a few months there, got noticed that they were thinking of starting a closed circuit radio program in the in the dormitory court, and uh, they were going to start off with um, a um, performance of uh, a reading performance of uh, Shakespeare's uh, Richard II. So I had a roommate who was doing around in the theater at the time. He considered himself at his feet. And so I turned to him and I said, well, I did radio in high school. I think I should try out for this thing. He said, let me hear you read. So I did a bit of Walt Whitman for him. His jaw fell. He couldn't believe anybody from Kansas could sound like that. So I said, uh, where, he said, where did you learn to read like that? And I shrugged. <laughs> so he, uh, he said, by all means, go, go, uh, go, go read for it. So I ended up playing the Duke of York in that radio production. He went, time went on, and uh, we got into spring, and he came bustling home one day, and he said, and he become involved in the theater group of the college. And he came bustling home and he said, uh, listen, uh, go check out in the library, Murder the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. Nice. You can do any of the roles in there. So I said, okay. I checked the book out. I didn't read it, though. And they uh, then were holding readings. So I went to the readings and I read. And through a series of circumstances, it ended up that they uh, were up against the wall and they needed me to play Thomas, the lead. And I obliged them. And in playing the lead, uh, they also owed a debt of gratitude to one of the former actors of the theater group. And he was terrible. <laughs> uh, so they had to give him one night. And they then decided after rehearsals that I should play Thomas for two nights. And I did. I played the hell out of it and uh, became convinced that my life was to begin as an actor. And that, that's the story. That's super cool. I, um, I, I tried, uh, I actually also tried reading Walt Whitman. Uh, that was part of my senior thesis. Uh, I, I don't think I had quite the same effect <laughs> that you did. <laughs> Uh, oh, thank you. So, 
What has maybe been one of the biggest things that you've seen change in the industry over the years from from when you started? I know uh, it seems like it's it's rarer and rarer to see anybody with like a, a live studio audience or anything like that. But what's maybe something that the average person wouldn't realize has been one of the biggest shifts when you're an actor in the industry? Coronavirus. <laughs> That's fair. (laughs) Do do any of us, any of us, no matter what we're doing, how we do it, when we do it, do do we we think, can anything touch us as this has touched us and directed us and changed us and veered our direction? We are all touched. And some can say touched. Yeah. It uh, and I, uh, nothing else approaches what this has done to our lives, what this has done to our approach to life, than the coronavirus. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Um, I I still don't know how people are going to approach going back to anything uh, resembling uh, any sort of normality. Uh, after this is all over, this is a a scary time uh, at the best way of thinking of it. Yeah. So Richard was talking about earlier before the show, we were talking about the, some of the things that we appreciated that you were involved with. Uh, you have some voice roles that he wanted to kind of ask you a handful of questions about. Well, we were going to ask, basically, uh, one of the questions was, how did you get started in the voice acting industry in general? Obviously, you kind of answered that question. You did radio when you were younger, uh, did a lot of acting. But what what got you into the voice acting in terms of, you know, being animated or, or something along those lines? What, what kind of pushed you in that direction later on in your career? Well, I, I think the, the, the thing is that uh, finding work, getting work, where do you go to find work, is all that preoccupies you at the time. So uh, if you don't do it in the beginning, you certainly do it towards the end or, or in the middle or somewhere in there. You say, oh, that sounds like fun. Can I try that? you find out where to go to try to put your face or your voice in front of people so they'll use it. Use it for their project if they have one. Or their microphone if they have one. And they need to fill time on that microphone. So you gravitate over to that casting spot that microphone and you say, try me, read this. Okay. How was that? And either I was hired or I wasn't. Yeah. We've had some discussions with some voice voice actors before who kind of said, echoed the same sentiment in, in that there's a good way to get work. And you could put a whole day's work into one or two days in the studio to 
earn your earn your paycheck for what that project was. It was a good, fast, hard couple of days worth of work. Um, we've seen a lot of well, we we talk a lot about comic books. We talk a lot about pop culture, but we have discussions about comic books a lot. And your voice uh, is part of kind of our experience with comic books from you know even from you know characters in, in captain planet and gargoyles to um characters on the batman superman i we, you know some of the recognizable ones would be uh jay jonah jameson or i i really love the granny goodness character yeah are are there any of those characters that you that you kind of thought you put your real, like you put your stamp on that one, and that's the one that's kind of based off of going forward. Uh, Granny Good, I did. Granny Good, I, uh, that was interesting because because that that was a a voice in progress. Uh, they were busy trying to find it when they hired me, and uh, and only gradually did we settle on what we settled on. Uh, I, uh, finding, finding the right note, as in musical note, in a voice, is really what people seek. J. Jonah Jameson, for instance, uh, he's a grim-jawed Provider of employment. I'm J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> uh, uh, Gargoyles was something that they, they wanted an experienced voice, but they didn't really know what they were looking for. So we found it together. Uh, Another one was a Freakazoid, mm -hmm. where uh, where I played uh, Cosgrove, the police side to uh, a freak, and uh, the, the secret there was totally underplaying the character. Want to get a milkshake? Want to get an egg cream? <laughs> Uh, uh -huh. uh, and that's about it. Um, I have always been in love with my voice and uh, constantly seek the tragic Leslie Howard type hero to portray for you. But uh, that rarely happens. Mm. That rarely happens. Uh, so there's Hudson and Gargoyles, Cosgrove and Freakazoid, Journey uh, Goodness, that demonstrates by itself. Uh, who else is there out there? You got uh, Hoggish Greedley in Captain Planet. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the story I wanted to tell you. I had got nowhere in terms of being sought after by uh, voice experts. 
but because I was regarded as a liberal in certain circles when um, oh, what, who created the gargoyle uh, uh, this is where uh, we uh, pull in the joy. Uh, this is where we pull in the uh, the joy of the internet to remind us right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what was the series uh, uh, that we're talking about? Um, that one would have been Captain Planet. Captain Planet. God damn it. Can't re well, I can't remember these things. I'm old. That's right. <laughs> uh, Captain Planet. Uh, and it's because of my liberal bent that they decided, well, uh, let's get him because he... Uh, uh, because they had a liberal fount. Hmm. So I guess they, they went and said, let's, let's get this liberal to do it. <laughs> and uh, I uh, made up the character, created the snort and all that, and uh, ran like a thief to cement it as quickly as possible. And uh, I'm, I'm still very fond of that character and uh, not necessarily what he represents, but his ability to represent it. Mm. Now, some of these characters are based on pre-existing comic book stuff. And I noticed that uh, one of the... Um, one of the things that you were associated with was the comic book legal defense fund. Were you, were you uh, a comic book fan before this, uh, or was this something you came to after, or is this just, you know, like, like the fund, is that just a cause that's worth supporting? Well, I was, I was a normal kid. I, I, uh, certainly loved comic books, got excited about them. I even loved the pornographic ones. And uh, enjoyed them immensely. Um, so that um, it, it all boils down to freedom of speech. And I, I can't remember what was attacking comic books at the time, but uh, when uh, they approached me and asked me to be a signatory, I was more than happy to. It always seems like somebody wants to uh, cur curtail those that they disagree with in one way, shape, or form. Uh, do, you, do you remember what the initial pursuit was? At, at, to curb the freedom of speech that comic books were uh, well, by? Well, it had grown out of, um, if I'm remembering correctly, it had grown out of the original comics code that, that was established to try and kind of limit what... Uh, comics were able to be able to put in the first place um, but uh, if um, at that point specifically I I, I think if and this is, I'm a little foggy on this I, I think that that point they were trying to trying to kind of buck that a little bit and and kind of self-police for the things that were that were really important and it just wasn't going well mm. but uh, well I'm glad to see they were failing. <laughs> they were failing. Yeah, 
Yeah, the, the comic industry, just like the uh, just like the um, movie industry and television industry right now, really suffering because of that that COVID thing. It's uh, it's kind of hard all around. Kind of what? It's kind of hard all around to to people that we normally depend on to to help whisk us away from from the off from the awfulness sometimes of our current reality into something spectacular. This is a podcast we're doing, right? Absolutely. Uh, how many uh, devotees are there to this podcast? Well, at any given time, we've got about 4,000 uh, followers on Twitter, approximately. Uh, we get, we've had thousands of listens over, over our times to our episodes. We're a smaller podcast, but uh, we have a, a dedicated group of people that uh, listen to us and uh, listen are to Are you and Richard always the host? Generally speaking. Mm-hmm. How did you and Richard get together? We are currently, um, we, this is, uh, this is not our day job as it were. We, we both toil. If only. <laughs> yeah, right. If only we both, <laughs> we both toil in the realm of, of, um, uh, I was about to give it all away. We, we toil in the realm of certain customer service aspects. Let, let's put it that way. <laughs> Customer service? Absolutely. Now, when are you going to service me? <laughs> well, the distance may make that difficult, but... <laughs> uh, Where are you based? Uh, we're out of Bloomington, Indiana. Uh-huh. Well, that's good comic book country. Yes, it is. We have some, some really nice uh, proprietors in the area. The, uh, the Vintage Phoenix shop has been downtown uh, in Bloomington for a very long time uh, gone through a couple of generations of ownership and it's uh, it's it's a nice town to be in a lot of new thinking and a lot of free thinking that comes through here because of all the collegiate activity and uh, we always uh, enjoy uh, seeing new uh, new ways of approaching things well have you enjoyed the past Eight, ten days? I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the weather's been good, at least here, you know, a, a few times. But that I didn't mean. I mean, the transformation that has taken place in America in terms of black-white. Well, I think there's um, a great deal of, of a way to go, a lot of progress to be made, and I, I'm hoping— I'm I'm hoping that this uh, this this pain that currently is being experienced by so many people throughout the country right now will pro- produce a lasting positive change for those that need it the most. Well, that this change has to occur in each of our hearts. Yeah. It's and uh, if the. Uh, and uh, each of us were dedicated ourselves to being in forces. And if we don't, then it'll be business as usual. Well, and this is something you've always kind of advocated for being that being that um that source of change. You've been associated with a lot of uh charitable work and organizations over the years. Um, 
what what in this current um, climate, what do you think is, what are a couple of maybe your favorite or, or your preferred areas where people can contribute and make that change happen? I, whatever comes down, announces, featured as part of this revolution that hopefully is taking place, the black-white revolution, the reassessment of our attitudes and feelings about the black-white relationship, um, even to the point of self-sacrifice, if that's possible, uh, that, that's paramount. Uh, this is a moment to be seized. This is a moment to be grasped and, uh, and uh, held close to the heart. This is a moment to proclaim liberty for all and mean it. And to see it take place, it would be truly America the beautiful. That would be something to see. Yeah. So, to kind of uh, go... Indiana, Indiana, where you come from. I'm sorry, what was that? Indiana, where you come from. Yes, indeed. Uh, has always had a southern edge to it. There's always been influence in terms of... Uh, I, I think back to the Civil War and and, uh, and the fact that uh, there probably were a lot of Southern sympathizers in Indiana at the time. But I would say that when the gold star list of those who have died in the battle is rung up, Hoosiers will occupy a large space of those who have fought for individual liberties and certainly uh, black-white relationships. We normally don't delve too much into the political side just because it's not the focus of what we do, but this brings up an interesting question. From what you've seen, do you think that the change that you want to see implemented would be easier to achieve from the top down, or does it need to go from the bottom up? It's got to go from the bottom up. Uh, our leaders will only mouth what they have learned from the tit of the populace. Is there, is there a... I'm trying to come up with the right word. Is there a a way that you think that as advocating for what is right that we can make a difference in in an individual capacity or how do we need to create functional groups that can make those changes occur? We merely have to look into our own soul. Look into our own minds. Be reminded of it day in and day out. 
prick ourselves each time mm-hmm. if we lapse. Say, Straighten up, soldier. Straighten <laughs> up. Yeah. It's a 24-hour beauty. If other white countries have a problem in terms of black-white, that's their problem. Our problem is to get over our problem. Now, you had indicated, you know, um, your, your time spent in Chicago, you're from Kansas City, Obviously, we're in Indiana. What type of what type of influence do you think the Midwest, or growing up in the Midwest, has had on you? In terms of obviously our subjects that we were we're, we're talking about now, in terms of your um, acting career, in terms of your life experiences as a whole. I I haven't taken the time to separate. I know that my parents were foreign-born, that they probably had the same animus uh, in terms of blacks uh, that most of them would have, but that in, in dealing with blacks, they were fairer and more decent than their children. They um, they were fair. That's all I can say about them. They were strangely fair. And uh, I know that I have been guilty of anti-black prejudice. And that was an interesting place to grow up. I come from Kansas City, Kansas. And I always took pride in the fact that so different from Kansas City, Missouri. Missouri, which went southern in its attitude. Kansas proclaimed itself a free state. So, and even even though it was a free state, we practiced segregation in the schools. Um, because we were overshadowed by Kansas City, Missouri. And that location and that those that town makes it very different. For instance, Kansas City jazz was a very important additive to the modern music scene. And the jazz was created by black musicians coming up from the South and going through Kansas City and leaving their mark. As opposed to the other side of the state where you have St. Louis, uh, 
French fur trapper stopping point and long, long regarded as a prejudiced town, St. Louis. Kansas City was not that different. We practiced segregation. But I think that the hint of what was further west still beckoned us. Hmm. It's sometimes hard to get perspectives on, on some of these other locations that you didn't, uh, you, that you're not necessarily right next to. If it's if it's not in your home territory, it's sometimes hard to wrap your head around the history of some of the some of the places and what has come up through them. Speaking of history, I wanted to make sure to ask before I forgot, specifically uh, something going back to the acting uh, side of things and and the Mary Tyler Moore show specifically. Um, I always wanted to know, I mean, anytime you get a show that's cast uh, and it's started to be produced. You know, they're the, they're always looking for a specific kind of energy, a specific kind of person, a specific kind of voice. All there are so many legends that were in that show, yourself included. Did did you feel a kind of um, a kind of a, an immediate? You know, we've got something here, or was it something that you kind of had to work into and develop? No, we thought we were pretty goddamn cute. <laughs> we thought we were the cat's meow. Uh, we couldn't put our finger on it. Every time we scored a laugh, we uh, shrugged our shoulders and said, who, who knew? But... Um, Plotting, day-to-day, working, trying to make the characters real, trying to make them funny, and taking direction from any and all quarters. So the other thing that kind of leaped out to me, because I mean, it, that show had spinoffs and you, you, had, um, you ended up playing the same character for over... 250 episodes what kind of uh, what kind of uh, a, a feeling is that it, do you tend to sometimes blur the lines between the the character and yourself bleeding over one into the other what what is the what is the experience of being able to kind of live in the shoes of this other person for so long that's mine that's me <laughs> he wouldn't do that he wouldn't say that and sometimes when I said he would, uh, I was corrected by the producer writers that he wouldn't. <laughs> well, they would go back in time and say, he did this when he was younger. Put it in. And it was a pleasure. So it was it was always search search and discover. Never search and destroy. Makes sense. 
so you tend to keep yourself very busy with a lot of projects. And um, so obviously you've got the, the autobiography. What projects are you working on right now that you could talk about? I saw something like 17 uh, projects in post-production. Don't believe it. Don't believe it? Ah. <laughs> so what, what is... Oh, I mean, some of that is, is what's been promised. Uh, uh, I thought we had stumbled on a, on a uh, very uh, clever approach, David Paymer and I, in terms of our relationship as father and son uh, on Briar Patch, uh, and I hear it's been panned pretty badly by the critics, mm-hmm. so that probably won't be discovered. Uh, I, uh, at the time of the pandemic, uh, my daughter's my booking agent. And she um, she books two shows for me, one called A Man and His Prostate, written by Ed Weinberger, a former producer and writer of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and the uh, other is by Samuel Warren Joseph, and. Uh, I forget the other guy's name. Um, called God Help Us. And I play God, which is natural. Seems like it. And uh, it entails a couple who had been lovers at one time and then split because they disagreed so politically. We're trying to bring them together again. I'm trying to resolve the difference. That's the basis of the show. Nice. I know you're also doing some some parts and some other things that I have had great enjoyment out of. Uh, you had a great part in Cobra Kai, and I'm always hoping to see if I can see you pop up again in that show at some point. Um, but, yeah. uh, but. Um, Aren't you currently in uh, Dead to Me on Netflix? Yeah. That's another one I've done. Yeah. That... Cobra Kai and uh, Dead to Me, except I'm really dead in Dead to Me. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, what's the earlier show I mentioned? Uh, Cobra Kai? No. Uh, Briar Patch? Briar Patch. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that'll stay on very long. Uh, that's all we've got right now, I guess. That at my two stage shows. Right. Well, if you get the opportunity, I, I think it would be highly entertaining. Uh, if you run into uh, James uh, uh, Marsden to 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 see a a comic book conversation between the two of you, because because you've both been involved in so many comic related projects over the years it's uh kind of a, a fun thought kind of a daydream but well, he's a good actor yeah yeah he is he's one of my favorites but uh, then again i have so many you what 
I have so many favorites. I have a, a great uh, a great love of uh, of everything that goes into the process of creating these fantasies, uh, the writing, directing, even the even the crew, all these important parts to to make even the smallest show uh, come out and and work. It's it's an amazing symphony of pieces. Mm-hmm. That show is. Yeah. Well, I I can't tell you how much I want to thank you or how much I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us today. Um, uh, and I, and I, I, I get, like I said, I'm just like a little, uh, giddy as a schoolgirl, uh, having a chance to, to hear some of the, some of the history for somebody that's created so many things that I've loved over the years. I wish you the best. And if you ever want to talk to us again, we are always open, uh, Mr. Asner. And uh, we, we hope your uh, further shows go well. And I, I hope Pri- Briar Patch continues to be picked up because a lot of times critics can be wrong. <laughs> well, often critics can be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Absolutely. We'll take, it, we'll take it one one step at a time. Well, I don't think they're making that one again anytime soon. All right. <laughs> thank you thank you sir thank you Richard thank you very Happy much thank you take care of yourself you do the same <laughs> <laughs>